Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to talk about Season 2, Episode 10 of Farscape. My Three Crichtons. Yes. Yeah, My Three Crichtons. Uh, this is real mid-tier Star Trek crap. Oh, uh, you know, I didn't know what it was about this episode until you said that when we were watching it. See, this episode for me is just kind of a nothing episode. If anything, it's frustrating to me because we get the look at the princess trilogy next week. And, you know, when we have to <laughs> wait for it now. But it's this is kind of like a nothing episode. And I didn't really know why I didn't have strong feelings about it until you called it a mid-tier Star Trek episode. And I realized the thing I didn't like about this episode is that you could slot this into any other science fiction TV show and it would work. And that's not what Farscape does. I was kind of expecting each of the Johns to have sex with a different female member of the crew. It seemed like that was sort of the direction it was heading in for a second, but then that didn't happen. I mean, that might have made it a little more interesting. This episode was written... Well, there's a story by credit for Harry Worksman and Gabrielle Stanton, who did Home on the Remains. And the teleplay is by Grant McAloon, who wrote the episode where Dargo meets the lady from his planet who has sex with him to stay uh, young. <laughs> which is also a real Star Trekky episode. And this episode was directed by Catherine Millar, who we have not seen before, but we will in the future. And I do appreciate seeing women directors on this show, mm. on sci-fi shows, in, on television in general, mm. on sci-fi shows in general, and on this show in particular. Even though I wish they'd given her a stronger episode. But it's okay, she's going to get stronger episodes later. So the episode opens with John on Moya doing... Uh... Aaron is stripping the Farscape 1 for parts to repair her Prowler. And John is trying to stop her... Well, John's like, well, you can't just take my ship apart and, and use the parts on your ship. And Aaron's like, well, my ship has priority because it's the one that could actually do something if we get attacked. And your ship is a curiosity at best. Hmm. And John's like, no, no, I, I don't buy into this premise. And Pilot says, hey, um, something aggressive is coming at us. And John's like, all right, let's fix your ship, Aaron. <laughs> let's get your ship going. How often do they use Aaron's Prowler for this sort of thing, though? I mean, granted, how often do they use John's ship for anything other than, I guess, looking at wormhole stuff? But Yeah, I mean, he, he uses his ship for for his stuff, which is studying wormholes. But you're right, yeah, we don't actually see Aaron using her Prowler in the way it's possible to use it, you know, as an attack ship. Mm. Not, even, not even right now, when this giant glowy ball flies through the ship like it just goes right through the hull and then it just flies around looking at all the crew members deciding what it thinks we get a little uh vod from the from the glowy balls point of view i mean honestly what it reminds me of more than anything else is that thing in lower decks where that energy being that's like a green glowing ball shows up on the ship and, uh, you know, it threatens to destroy them all if they don't do this, that, or the other. And, and Mariner just grabs it and shoves it in, like, her radio thing to power it. <laughs> it. It reminds me of that, except we have a really kind of boring episode that... Yeah, I mean... Lower Decks is so good. I miss Lower Decks a lot. I was gonna say, Lower Decks on the whole is a lot more 
interesting twists on sci-fi premises than this episode. And it's within Star Trek canon, so I don't know, this Farscape episode has no excuse. But the glowy ball envelops Crichton, which is bad, presumably. (laughs) So, obviously, what's going to happen is Crichton's going to emerge, and everyone's going to think that he's fine, but he's going to be really good at stuff. And then he's going to get too good at stuff, and he's going to have to kill himself on the moon. But then it'll turn out that there was a different energy cocoon that got left at the bottom of, uh, what's it called? The Dark Phoenix Saga. Yes, I was I was going into a Dark Phoenix riff there. Because <laughs> John gets wrapped up in an energy cocoon and then is replaced. Oh, except not really, it's... Okay, so like a caveman John comes out and a future John comes out and then there's a regular John and this episode is mostly really, really boring. Like the threat feels so artificial and like, I don't care about caveman John. They do a lot to make you care about or they try to make you care about caveman John and and I, I just this episode is so boring and when I said mid-level Star Trek episode, I mean, like, when, when you try to show me a Star Trek episode that isn't, like, supposed to be incredibly good or deeply stupid, and it's just stuff kind of happening for 40-odd minutes, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's most of Star Trek, where it's just stuff kind of happening, and you're not emotionally invested at all, and it just happens at you, and that's a lot of Star Trek. I mean, for me. For me, I just, I have a hard time being invested in a lot of Star Trek unless something really stupid is happening. Or, I mean, they're, they're like... Are there any characters that you connect to on Star Trek? Not really. I mean, I, what, I, what I, I enjoy watching Riker do stuff. I, I like, uh, I like Troy conceptually. What about Luoxana Troy, who I showed you an episode of yesterday? She's, she's very entertaining. A friend of mine from college was... Uh, expressed disgust seems like too hard of a harsh of a word but when i told him what episode we were watching because he was like are you watching star trek and i was like yeah this episode and he was like ugh and i'm like seems like a little harsh reaction to Did, it, does, it, is he opposed to loxana troy i don't know if it was a loxana troy thing or if it was well yeah, maybe it was maybe he doesn't like her i don't know and this is gonna earn me so much hate from star trek people i don't care about data I straight up don't care about Data, and I find all of his plots intensely irritating because the whole, ooh, I want to be a real boy thing, beyond annoying. And it's like that thing, you know that thing J. Michael Straczynski has about, like, little kids and cute animals? I feel like that also applies to Data. Like, you're supposed to find it cute when he's like, no, keep arguing. I find this this kind of interaction intensely interesting he's like i find data just so irritating he is by far my least favorite character on that show wow i find that really interesting because you also didn't care for august at all when we did our once upon a time podcast who is the real world identity of uh, pinocchio yeah i think the pinocchio thing is just it's irritating it's cloying and cutesy and gross it's like a non-sexual born sexy yesterday. I I might not even uh, say it's non-sexual. Say it's non-sexual. Which is weird because 
there's a take on that which I actually do enjoy, which is Alien New to Earth. Wait, so you like Alien New to Earth, but even you... though it's the, the exact same thing, I know. Huh. I like Alien New to Earth, but Android who just wants to love annoys me. I also am not a huge Vision person, but you love Wanda Maximoff, so yeah, like it's it's like that friend of yours who you like a lot, and she has a boyfriend who's like, he's fine. He's not someone you'd hang out with normally, but you like the friend, so you just let him watch sports on his phone while you two talk about other stuff. Well, I was not aware of your strong anti-Android bias when we started this Farscape podcast, and now I'm thinking it's interesting that I chose one of the few sci-fi shows that doesn't have an Android character. Actually, you know what? I say that. I'm thinking of all sorts of counterexamples now that I've said that out loud, but that I chose a sci-fi show that doesn't have an android character. Does, that, does Andromeda have an android? Well, Andromeda has Lexa, Andromeda. Yeah, Lexadella, the, the ship that wants to have sex with Kevin Sorbo. Exactly. So, By the way, watching Andromeda is like... I don't know if this is a thing with... I, I'm sorry to pivot yet again, just, just for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is a thing with right-wing guys' TV shows... But there's a masturbatory, 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 masturbatory quality to Andromeda, a show which Kevin Sorbo had a lot of creative control over. And there's also one to Walker, Texas Ranger and sort of Chuck Norris's whole thing. And I'm like, it's really interesting how these right wing guys sort of need to build this sort of cult of personality around themselves and their properties. Well, I haven't seen a single second of Walker, Texas Ranger, so I can't speak to that. But I have seen a lot of Andromeda, and the thing about Andromeda, one of the things that really bothers me about it is that it is aggressively proposing the great man theory of history, which is a conservative idea of of a way to view history. And, you know, it's very much pushing Kevin Sorbo as the savior of humanity in a way that, I mean, that's not the way systems work. There's not... Yeah, like... If you see something that's saying, oh, one guy did whatever, one guy discovered electricity, no, it's one guy was very good at marketing. Everything that exists exists because of lots of people working together. It's just there's not really good narratives about that so much. Mm -hmm. It's just easier to have X is special, X is the protagonist of electricity or whatever the protagonist of electricity i love that in this case i guess edison edison i mean yes he is the protagonist of electricity even though everyone in the know knows he's the antagonist of electricity yeah and like kevin sor uh, i mean we can't get into kevin sorbo because we, oh, we will for- be here all day trash talking kevin sorbo but i've watched not a ton of Andromeda, like, most of the first season, maybe. Half of the first season. Yeah, you've watched a decent amount of it. Yeah, and I think it's a really interesting show. I'm not going to say it's a good show. I think it's an interesting show. Because it's sort of a character study on Kevin Sorbo. Mm-hmm. Not on Captain Jack, probably. I'm assuming his name's Jack, because it's a conservative thing, so... He has the the man name. Jack, Smith, Gun, Fists, whatever. Uh, like, it's not a character study of him. It's a character study of Kevin Sorbo. Because it's 
he he's main character guy he's his mission is to basically manifest destiny how things were better in the past that he's from uh it's uh, it's aggressively conservative and specifically the fact that they cast one of the most attractive men on earth to be in that show Mm-hmm. he has keith hamilton cobb mm-hmm. one of possibly the most attractive men when the show was being filmed like one of if not the like one, one, one of the most attractive men out there on the crew as someone who is genetically bred to be perfect so that kevin sorbo's guy from the past can be better than him at everything. Which, by the way, good casting, casting department for finding a guy who's genetically perfect. Because cause Keith, uh, Keith Hamilton Cobb is, is a, he's a very attractive man. Yes. I mean, well, the reason you've seen so much Andromeda is because my ex showed it to you when we were all hanging out. Hmm. Which is the reason I've seen so much Andromeda. And I'll tell you, I got through a lot of Andromeda just looking at Keith Hamilton Cobb. I feel like a... a traitor to female nerds right now saying this but whatever andromeda's trash so it's fine that i just got through it by looking at the eye candy wait is there a large female nerd following of andromeda no no just female nerdery in general a lot of times gets accused of just being into the thing because of you know the sexy guys like the sexy chrises in the mcu uh yeah well but i mean that's literally the only pleasant thing about that show yeah, uh, otherwise it's it's Space Manifest Destiny. Remember the episode where he, like... Oh my god, are you going to talk about the episode with the kids? Because yeah, I, I, we could do a whole, like, podcast series about that one episode and why I hate it so, so much. He left those children to die and walked away thinking he was morally superior. That's like the Dark Mirror version of the episode of Farscape taking the stone. Yes. Yes, it is. I just... <laughs> This All right. So you so you earlier kind of yada yada over the plot of this entire episode, but to jump into what's happening right now, the energy ball swallows up Crichton and then it spits out Crichton and what is obviously caveman Crichton, but it's going to take them like 15 goddamn minutes to figure that out. But, you know, caveman Crichton who runs off and, you know, Dargo chases after it. Charmed actually does this later too. Not Exactly, but right before Phoebe's about to marry Cole, where mm-hmm. she's not sure whether or not she should marry Cole, so she calls a future version of herself and a past version of herself. Yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm just saying there, there's a mirror episode in Charmed of this. Yeah, a shame that they were not... That the timelines didn't sync up more, but... So that we could release these two podcasts together. <laughs> but yes, uh, the Farscape crew... I'll fawn over regular non-caveman John, and they're like, that strange creature burst out of here. Whatever could it be? Ho, ho, ho. Also, in the chaos, that creature was wounded, so they have some of that creature's blood. And now we're going to have to go on this huge thing where, how could the creature possibly have John's blood? Was it some sort of vampire? Did it suck a little bit of your blood and then heal it somehow when you were in the... It's obviously Caveman Crichton. I mean, I know we're coming at this from a people who watch sci-fi and are familiar with tropes of genre shows thing. But yeah, come but that's on. the thing. People in this show are not usually genre blind. People in this show usually know what's up. Also... It looks like Harry John. It's not like 
It's not like Captain Caveman. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we cut to Dargo trying to find the creature, as they're calling it. And Rigel's like, can't you smell it? Aren't you, like, a tracker with a strong sense of smell? And Dargo's like, yes, but all I can smell is John. Okay, Dargo. Can you see why we felt like we needed to talk about Andromeda for, like, 40 minutes earlier on? So John is, like, in shock. He has the shock blanket around his shoulders. And he asks Chiana to go get him some more clothes. So, like, you know, he's got the, like chill from being in shock he's got chills they're multiplying he is losing control so this is when zan lets them know that the blood is his blood and so chiana goes to john's quarters to get some more clothes and caveman john is there and caveman john like throws chiana across the room and is like i'm john Except I'm trying to talk around these giant prosthetic teeth. Beer bad. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Hey, look, it's the worst episode of Buffy except for Normal Again. No, Beer Bad is objectively the worst episode of Buffy, but you hate Normal Again more because you don't like that trope. Yes. But Beer Bad is objectively the worst episode. Yes, Beer Bad is objectively the worst episode. Oh, I decided to turn four random college students into cavemen with beer that I but from my brother-in-law who's a warlock and (laughs) question mark question mark profit honestly the reason it feels like nothing happens in this episode is because we spend literally four minutes in john's quarters with john trying to get chiana to believe that he that caveman john is john and you could try looking at him i mean we are all on that page already Anyway, Chiana brings him to the med bay where John is, and everyone freaks out, and Chiana's like, no, look, isn't he obviously John? I finally figured that out. We're gonna have, like, a Jane and Tarzan moment from Disney's Tarzan where Phil Collins sings at y'all loud while I grope his boobs. There you go. Okay, I will say one thing I like about this episode. Mm -hmm. Caveman John is dressed in John's flight suit. That's what he, you know, fetched from the quarters to wear. And John is wearing basically what has become his default outfit, which is leather pants, black shirt, and the maroon peacekeeper vest. But he's not wearing it in a peacekeeper manner. It's like, these are clothes I found now. I'm wearing them. It's a very pirate. Mm. And when we see future John, he's wearing buttoned up red peacekeeper uniform. Mm. And I, I I like that particular costuming choice. It's it's on the nose, but I like it. So John yells at Caveman John, asking him like what he wants, and Caveman John freaks out because, believe it or not, yelling in someone's face is not, as we discussed in last episode of Charmed, yelling in someone's face is not a good way of getting them to help you. Yeah, also, Caveman John obviously doesn't want anything. Caveman John obviously was just created by the energy ball. He's he's as confused as you are, John. More so, because he's a caveman. And uh, Zan hits him with a sleep shot. Now he's asleep. Rigel points out the obvious. He's like, well, it does kind of look like you if you take away the, you know, prosthetics and fake hair. So this is funny. I don't know if you you realized this while we were watching. But this is the first episode of Farscape so far to have no guest stars. 
its only core cast. Huh. And in the little DVD extra interview about this particular episode, the producers were talking about how it's essentially a bottle episode, you know, that's all on Moya. Moya. They, they don't go anywhere. Except that there are two different Johns both requiring extensive prosthetics in addition to the main John. So it doesn't fulfill the main purpose of a bottle episode, which is to be cheap mm. and easy to shoot. Yeah, but look what they got out of it. Yeah. I mean, in so many ways, this just feels like a time filler. This is what happens when you have to have 24 episodes in a season instead of 12 or 10. Yeah. Again, it's the good thing about the Netflix or whatever model Mm -hmm. where you can just have as many episodes as you need and then you don't need to do crap like this. I mean, I don't want to speak too highly of everybody who's making TV now because people who make TV now make mistakes. Mm. But I want to say on a streaming network, this episode wouldn't have existed. Mm. This is this feels like such a filler episode, as evidenced by the fact that there's three credited writers, a story by and a teleplay credit. I, I feel like that shouts this was a filler episode and we were all spitballing around the room until someone finally came up with something that would work. Yeah, it does sort of feel like the script is, I don't want to say improvised as such, but like... It has a real and-then quality to it. Mm-hmm. Like, none of the premises are really strong enough, so you keep having to and-then, and-then, and then the energy... <laughs> and then! <laughs> and then the energy cocoon spits out Future John! What? Okay, so Future John is John, but with a jello mold brain prosthetic... On the top of his head. <sighs> He's so smart now that his brain is pushing its way out of his head and made all of his hair fall off. Yeah, that's how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Also, his his penis has become smaller. <laughs> yes. Aaron, Aaron has a gun on him. He's like, don't shoot me. I'm John. And she's like, no, John has a... Uh... He has more hair and more other things and looks significantly at future John's dick. And it's like, that's a line that's strong enough to go out on. I I am not a fan of the penis size related to genetic advancement implied by what's going on here right now. Hey, what... We're back to Andromeda, where Kevin uh, Kevin Sorbo has a monster schlong, unlike the genetically altered to be perfect guys. Oh. You don't see the Lexadoa ship spying on him. Also, the ship's in love with Kevin Sorbo, but to make it not gay, we have to make sure that the ship's a woman, because they tricked him once with Hercules. Is this a good time to talk about Future John's voice? Sure. <laughs> Let's talk about Future John's voice. So, um... I know what he was going for because of the aforementioned DVD extras interviews. Mm-hmm. But did you want to share what you felt like the voice was supposed to be when you first heard the voice he was doing as Future John? Uh, I figured he was trying to be like a plantation owner, you know, back in... Like a, a southern gentleman? Yeah, but like someone who definitely owned other human people as property... That was sort of the feel I was getting from his character. 
definitely a, a high class Southern thing going on. Yeah, yeah, he was trying to do a Bill Clinton impression. Why? Also, I I I was around, but I wasn't really old enough to think about this sort of thing that much. But like, people did people think of Bill Clinton as particularly evolved because that's not really what I get from the uh, pop culture of the time. No, no, that's not what we thought. That's not, I don't remember having those thoughts. As a, and I say this as a Democrat, I, I I don't remember having those thoughts. Well, I just go back to the. Uh, to the critic joke where George Bush Sr. gets his picture taken with uh, Jay Sherman because he's ahead in the polls. And he's like, oh, what could possibly happen if I get my picture taken with Jay Sherman, noted film critic? And then the newspaper, they do the newspaper spinning thing and it has a picture of Clinton with fat, lecherous, hillbilly elected president. You know what is actually, in my opinion, a really good resource for remembering what specific time periods were like. What? Old Onion articles. Mm. And if you look at the Old Onion articles from when Clinton was president, like the one that I really remember is the one that was a joke about Clinton getting written up by his superior for coming in late, and it was written like he was, you know, a pimply-faced teen. Because that was the idea, right? Like Simpsons did it too. I mean, like... There was the epi- the Treehouse of Horror with him, and it had the joke about him not waking up before 11 in the morning. Why would Clinton be the person you... Okay, so I think the idea, though, is he, he was president at the time, and I think Ben Browder really just didn't want to do a British accent. He didn't want to do some cliche, this is what a advanced villainous guy sounds like. It didn't stop him from doing a British accent when he was pretending to be a peacekeeper, even though none of the peacekeepers have British accents. Okay, but see, John Crichton buys into the cliche because John Crichton is genre savvy. All right. But Ben Browder wanted to subvert it. So Ben Browder thought, well, I mean, arguably in 1999, the president of the United States is one of the more powerful political figures in the world. And this guy sounds like a hillbilly, so maybe, maybe the future of the human race is hillbilly sounding. God. You know what? I'm okay with that, because at least it's something different and interesting. But basically, John is interrogating future John, and future John doesn't know anything either. Future John doesn't know more than caveman John. They were all created, well, all they were both. They were both created by the sphere. And future John's like, look. Clearly, the sphere is creating copies of you at different at different evolutionary stages for whatever reason. But I'm smarter than you, so let me out of this cage thing so I can figure out what's going on. Yeah, they lock Future John in one of the cells because you know, because what is happening? And then <laughs> John in, and and then John interrogates Future John to al- make sure that he is John. Yeah, he asks him specifically about some of his memories about. Back on the Farscape project with DK and Alex and his dad. Oh my, a DK reference. I've been waiting for this for like 7,000 years. Well, you know, unlike Jesse, John remembers that he had a best friend in the first episode of this show. But not when he was having his delusion, his space cricket inspired back on Earth illusion, brain illusion thing. Well, that actually is okay with me because in his brain delusion, he crashed in Australia So, I mean, DK wouldn't be there. He'd be 
back in America, which is where John is from, even though it's not where the show is filmed. Mm. And so that's fine. That that works for me because they couldn't get the actor. And you could say that the cricket aliens didn't want to pull in something that would seem so easily that would be so easily seen through. Mm. He might remember DK later. Yeah, I think you I think you mentioned DK coming back in one of the other episodes where he goes back to Earth or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is good because I initially wanted DK to be the main character because he had way more personality in the pilot, but have, have do you do you now feel that Ben Browder has a Yes, he's he's not Johnny generic face anymore. So just giving him a goofy sidekick to bounce off of in the pilot episode, I feel like didn't do John any favors when he would eventually become the goofy main character. Well, I mean, there's kind of an idiocracy thing going on where John in the pilot was every man, every human, because... Human. <laughs> exactly. To contrast against all of these strange alien creatures, but then, you know, then he became John and he's, you know... He's no longer generic man. Now he is John Creighton. And then, that's what we're doing. And then? And then. <laughs> and then the sphere opens up like a hole into another dimension and starts trying to pull everything through that dimensional rip. And future John, who's being guarded by Aaron, is like, use the defense screen to defend us. Wow, he's got to be a genius from the future. <laughs> okay, no, 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 to be fair, to be fair, the sphere is, like, inside the ship, but he's, like, we'll just, you know, do a harmonic thing where the frequency waves cancel out the other waves, like putting too much air into a balloon. <laughs> and Aaron's like, I don't know, this could be a trap. I feel like this might be a trap. And regular John, who is not there, regular John is up where the sphere is, is like, we should turn on the defense screen. So when Aaron calls him and is like, future John has an idea, regular John is like, yeah, I know. I got there a little slower because I'm not as evolved. But yeah, same page. And future John's like, um, did you figure out that you have to set it to 85% so that the harmonics are in tune? God, what is this, the body switching episode again? I know, right? Yeah, I love how on this show, turning on the defense screen to anything less than 100% has transporter-like side effects. God. Like side effects that are as wild as side effects that happen when transporter malfunctions happen. So, yeah, they... Do that. They do that, and that works, but, you know, it's only going to work for a while, and so now we have a sense of urgency. The shield is going to burn out in three arms, and it might be even less than that if the sphere is able to, you know, counteract what the defense screen is doing. So, we have stakes. Woo! Stakes. Yep. Yep. And I hope then- I- I I hope you brought <laughs> I hope you brought some mashed potatoes because we have steaks. I hope everyone has high chairs because they're raising those steaks. Oh, I hope you don't mind sitting at the bar because the steaks <laughs> have been raised, so you need to have one of those high top tables. God, I hate those tables. I hate eating if my feet can't touch the floor. Because mm, it makes you feel like a baby. Although our uh, our baby does seem to really enjoy her high chair, so. 
Yeah, she likes being up high. I don't, I don't. I need my feet to touch the floor. No, it's because as a bisexual, I have to sit in like weird configurations, and I can't do that if my feet are just swinging free. I, I can't get comfortable. So, Chiana has been guarding Caveman John this whole time. Wait, no, wait. Don't, don't give me a tired sigh yet, because I haven't said the thing that's worth tired sighing over yet. Okay. She turned off her comms for reasons, so she doesn't know everything else that's going on. But there's no reason for her to have done this that was established. They just did it so that she could have these moments where she's bonding with Caveman John before everything else that happens in this episode happens. But it's not established. There's no, there's no, there are no tracks laid for this train. This, this, this behavior is a runaway train. Okay, so is she, like, not dating Dargo, or is the, or has the relationship not progressed to a level where she's not allowed to have sex with random cavemen anymore, or what? I mean, it has. She is with Dargo. Okay, I don't, I don't want to get into the weeds on this. <laughs> this episode was originally slotted to come after the Look at the Princess trilogy, but it's ended up before it in both production order and airing order. So I, so we did it, you know, before. It wouldn't have made sense to do it after. Mm-hmm. But that is where it was slotted when it was envisioned. And Chiana and Dargo's relationship is fairly cemented in Look at the Princess. So, yes, it was ambiguous at the end of the last episode. But by the next episode, it's going to be very clear, yes. No, 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 it's complicated. They have updated their Facebook status. Okay, so. What do the kids do now? They made a TikTok about it. Oh, God. I don't think kids date anymore. I think they just sort of. Do at each other's TikToks? Yeah. I, I was going to say, I think they just. Is is that, is that what sex is? Is that what you think sex is? It's the way I do it. <laughs> But no, I don't think kids have sex anymore. I think it's all just duetting TikToks and taking like selfies where you're posing sexfully. Because isn't that a thing? Like sexual activity amongst the youth is trending major league downward. That it is. Mm-hmm. Because like you have other stuff to do now. Having sex isn't going to get you like the good numbers on TikTok. You better be spending that time in the gym. I, I I, don't want to be one of these olds who doesn't understand the youth, but I don't understand the youth. Yeah. But you know what? But you know what? I accept that they do what makes them happy. A well-liked thirst trap is worth a thousand hand jobs. That can't possibly be true. <laughs> I don't know. You, you know the, uh, what's the happiness brain chemical you get when someone likes something on the internet? That's pretty addictive. Dopamine. Yeah, yeah. it is. It is. But is it better that, you know what? Let's, let's talk about Farscape. I feel, I feel like I'm getting it way over my head here. No. <laughs> we don't know what teenagers are up to. Neither one of us has spoken to a teenager in like a decade. Yeah, basically. So... So, future John and John go to where Caveman John is locked up so that Chiana, who, as I said, turned off her comms, can get updated and, you know, future John can look at Caveman John all like, oh, 
I am genetically superior to you. See how I'm very casually wearing this peacekeeper outfit? Yes. Subtle! I mean, the thing is, this episode isn't terrible if you're just, like, watching it while doing dishes or something. Like, it's not bad, bad. It was like, I blinked and it was over bad, but God, nothing happens in it. You know what? It might be bad, bad. No, no, this is one of the episodes I think of as... And, and I think of not just Farscape episodes, but lots of TV episodes and also some books and comics and movies as being like cotton candy, right? It's like you took it in, it was sweet, it dissolved, it left no trace. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, you're not getting sustenance out of it, but. And and you're not even really getting lasting memories. It's just, it's just, it was there and now it's not. You're just eating it because you were bored. We're just eating it because it's sweet. It it gave you a kick in the moment, and now it's gone. Although, Although not honestly, even really yeah, that. No, I've... Uh, so, back in command, everyone is trying to analyze a signal that is coming from the orb. And future John is like, well, have you tried bumping up the equalizer? H- have you tried just, like, adjusting it? Zoom and enhance. <laughs> Zoom and enhance. And they are able to translate what the sphere is saying. Yes. Uh, Space Voice is like, Woo! We're an advanced society from another dimension, and we're doing a study of people from this dimension, and we need a a genetic... You remember the Collector? We're basically that. God. And they need... One of the Johns, because they need a genetic sampling of John, it's not really explained. And to be honest, I feel like the show didn't really know, they didn't really flesh out why it made copies in the first place. Why wouldn't it just take John back once it got it, him in its, like, gooey embrace? Like, why did it do the copies? It doesn't make sense. Unless it was like, look, I don't want to mess up your dimension, so I'm just going to make a duplicate and I'll take that. But why wouldn't it have been just a John duplicate? Why why mess with the DNA like that? Yeah, doesn't it ruin your experiment? Yeah. What, what kind of experiment was this sphere running? Anyway, the point is, for some reason, the sphere doesn't need all three of them. It just needs one of them. So now... Yeah, you'd think it would need all three, right? Well, I mean, they're all genetically identical as evidenced by the fact that their blood is the same and they smell the same to dargo so i guess if they get one that they can just do whatever they did to get the two different ones in the first place to it again and anyway caveman john's like i know it me because me not advanced like other johns and channels like no you've got the truest heart of anyone i've ever known (laughs) Which is a weird tack for Chiana to take, but okay. Well, I, I mean, the the weird question here is, of course, because there's two extra Johns and only one has to go back and no one wants to be the first to say it should be Caveman John, except for Future John. Future John's like, well, let's toss Caveman John in here. And Present John's like, oh, come on, dude, don't be a dick. And Future John's like, really? Like... It's obviously Caveman John. He's, like, the least useful out of the three Johns. See, I don't know if that's true, because I feel like you could always use another fighter. John has shown that he's as smart as future John, and he's just, like, 
less than a minute behind him in thinking up ideas, so... Future John's the least useful John, because John's big skill is, you know, being able to handle social situations, and Future John's not so great at that. Yeah. This is what I'm saying. John's skill is social situations, Hmm. and he's very smart. Future John is just smart and is a raging asshole. And Caveman John is strong. So it seems to me like Future John is the extraneous John. And I know you're going to say, well, he's the one who said you had to, like, modulate the harmonics of the defense screen. But John would have figured that out. Like, ten seconds later? Yeah, totally. Totally. So, yeah, basically, there's a long discussion about who they're going to toss in. And future John is adamant that... Oh, if they don't toss in any Johns, then the sphere is just going to pull everyone within X radius into its sphere hole. Which, why is it warning them if it... Well, it's, it's, the defense screen is keeping it from doing that now. As soon as the defense screen breaks down, it's just going to suck everyone in. If they don't toss one of the Johns into it before then. Exactly. I know this is true with, like, literally every story ever, but this is just kind of happening, so there'll be a plot. Like, they couldn't think of anything to do with two different Johns and main John, so they're like, okay, there needs to be some reason for the Johns to be in conflict. And it's not like, oh, only one John can exist, which seems like something you could feasibly do. Uh, Those of you who have already watched Farscape know how much better the question of John duplicates is going to be addressed in a different future episode. And it's making me a little frustrated watching them do it so poorly here and knowing that it's going to be so much better later. It's like, I didn't need to see a rough draft, Farscape. Although I guess, I mean, that's... I guess it's fair. There's a lot of good Farscape. I shouldn't complain about this one bad one. So Future John kind of hits on Xan and it... Oh, it's so creepy. Future John is like, look, we all know that we have to throw Caveman John into the sphere. You know it too. And John's going to realize it a few seconds after I did because that's his deal. He's a few seconds less smart than I am. And then he like touches her head in a really creepy parallel to the tender way that John and Zan usually touch each other's heads because they have shared unity, but this John is a giant creep, and it's creepy. And then... Oh, yeah. And and, then... And and then John does finally come around and say, okay, I'll go find Caveman John and toss him in. Yeah. And future John's all, like, evil monologue about humanity and you doing what needs to be done and john's like wow this guy's a dick yeah he's like are you sure you can take care of this are you sure you dumb past idiot human john can do this are you sure you don't need me future super evolved john to do this and zan's like god i wish i was in a different episode Mm -hmm. Then John and Dargo, like, slow motion hero walk to where they were keeping Caveman John, and he's gone. And Shiana's like, yeah, I let him go because I didn't want you two to toss him into the sphere, so... By the way, everyone's kind of assuming that if you get tossed in the sphere, you die. And I'm not saying that's not unlikely, but, I mean, it's also not, like, a guarantee or anything. Well, at one point... John, trying to reason with future John, asked him what he would do if he was the only one. And 
would he sacrifice himself? And future John is like, well, I would just hope that getting pulled through the dimension wouldn't kill me, but I wouldn't sacrifice myself. I'd let everyone get pulled through the dimension. Mm. So, you know. I mean, I don't feel like you have a good cause to think that that would kill you, though. I, I mean, it's a, it's a science ship. It's probably not looking good for your chances of not being dissected at some point. Point. So, John and Dargo go off looking for Caveman John, and Chiana's all like, But you're a good person! I know that you're not gonna toss Caveman John into a glowing sphere, because that's not you. He has all of the best parts of you. Oh, this is... Wait, no, I, I agree with I agree with Chiana here. Like, you can't you can't just go tossing people into spheres. I'm sorry, you can't. This is a weird episode for Chiana, though. Like, I feel like this is a really weird take on Chiana. Having her be, like, the super empathetic heart of the team lady. There's a point in this episode where Rigel wants to just get the fuck out of there. And he tells chiana he's like are you not like the girl who's gonna kiss or kick or kill whatever she needs to do to survive and you're right it so you're right it not only is it a weird way for chiana to be acting but it's weird that she gets called out about that and there's no real answer yeah i think that this if, if i'm gonna explain it away i'm gonna say it has to do with her starting to have a kind of hero worship of John. No, that's, that can't possibly be healthy. <laughs> and a belief that he will do the right thing, capital R, capital T, and also that he will come up with a solution that will mean no one has to die. Spoiler, that's not what's going to happen. But, and then... And then... And then John finds Caveman John... Because Caveman John is hiding out in the tunnel that John would hide out in if he needed to hide somewhere. Which raises the question, are you not worried about future Future. John? Like, right behind you? Seriously. Because John's like, look. Look, dude, I'm I'm not going to throw you in the hole. Come on. I'm not going to throw you in the hole. We'll find another way. Yeah. Chiana was right. John is not the kind of person who can throw other people into spheres. And, oh, future John, like pulls on his cuffs and adjusts his weapon standing in front of the sphere like just looking looking all the parts like an evil villain and moya is just like shaking apart speaking of this not being a bottle episode they had to do effects of moya tearing herself apart because of all of the energy sphere disruption thingies okay so throughout the course of the show we've made a lot of references to moya being the size of a city I don't actually know where that came from. I guess there's nothing saying that she's that big. But you looked and you couldn't really find anything saying what size Moya is supposed to be, right? Okay, so a couple things. There is no real indication of the size of Moya. No official indication of the size of Moya. Mm -hmm. There's only fan guesses as to the size of Moya. And as I've been saying that she's the size of a city, I realized when somebody was like, she's not that big, that what I've been thinking is she's the size of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. which is not geography-wise as large as most cities. So that's what I've been visualizing. Like, you can walk from one end of Manhattan to the other, and I'll take you about a day. And that's kind of what I've been envisioning with Moya, that it would take you about a day to walk all of her. Hmm. But, yeah, I don't know where I got that. Yeah, I mean, I guess it doesn't super matter. Like, 
She's big enough. She's big enough that you can live inside her. Yeah. And it's comfortable, unlike the Millennium Falcon. I guess the, the, the Millennium Falcon. The Millennium Falcon, Falcon is cozy. It, but Mo- Moya, is not, Moya is not the kind of ship that a real estate agent would describe as cozy. Hmm. So, and then... And then... Future John finds John and is like, hey, so we have like zero minutes left. And since you're not going to toss Caveman John in the sphere, I'm going to toss you in the sphere because guess what? I think of you like you think of Caveman John because that's how primitive you are. And John's like, I wasn't going to toss him in the sphere. And Future John's like, I guess I'm just that much better than your teeth. And then John kills Future John. It is weird how... They both have prosthetic teeth. Like, the caveman John has the giant prosthetic teeth, which, okay, that's fine. But future John is wearing, like, a flipper mm. to give him perfect teeth, I guess. I mean, I guess that does make sense, except that I, the prosthesis is so obvious that it, I, I, I feel like they would have almost been better off not giving him one. Seriously. So John is like, hey, uh, future John... If you toss me in the sphere, the rest of the crew are going to be really mad at you. And Future John's like, no, no, it's the opposite. If you stick around, I can't be John. I'll just be like other John. And I don't want to be other John. I want to be only John. But John kills Future John. John does not kill Future John because he's not a killer. No, no, he tosses he tosses his pulse pistol to the ground. He refuses to kill future John because I'm just saying he's murdered a lot of peacekeepers by this point. Oh yeah, totally, totally. I mean, I guess he doesn't kill named characters, but he definitely kills people. That's true, and honestly, he's he would have been justified in killing future John. I feel like at this point, hmm. at this point, when future John has said, you know, I- I'm going to kill you, I feel like you are at this point justified in in killing him <laughs> self-defense <laughs> wow well you know it is self-defense because caveman john kills future john i okay the ethics of this are so okay we are given to understand that caveman john is the most ethical because he is the most primitive which is already like a gross idea and Future John is the least ethical because he's full-on peacekeeper. All brains, no heart. Ends justify the means. I would cut off Pilot's arm. Whatever. It's that dumb crap where things used to be more ideologically pure in the past because we didn't have... I mean, I guess the good place thing, you know, when you live in a post-capitalist society... Then literally everything you do is the result of slave labor on some level, so it get, it's less ethical than when everyone was a peasant except for kings starving to death and, you know, pooping to death because you drank from the wrong river. Yeah. But Caveman John kills future John, right? So John is ethical by tossing aside his pulse pistol and saying he's not going to kill future John. But Caveman John who is more ethical, has more heart than Prime John, is justified in killing Future John. Look out, Jesus, here comes Caveman John. I I don't. 
whatever. Caveman John picks up future John's corpse and they both, well, I guess they don't both because future John's dead, but they, they jump in the hole. Caveman John, while clutching Future John's corpse, jumps in the hall. And John is like, what are you doing? And Caveman John is like, I'm sorry, the show would get really confusing if I stuck around. Instead of just throwing the corpse into the hole. Yeah. He's like, I'm sorry, I must maintain the status quo. And you definitely don't want to be sitting in the makeup chair for this every single episode. So he sacrifices himself, and I should have held up on... Should have held off on my lookout Jesus for this part because Caveman John sacrifices himself when I really think they could have gotten away with just throwing the corpse of future John in there. They definitely could have. I mean, that's why they have Caveman John saying, like, I have no place here. And it's it's so obviously just that the show needs to reset the status quo before the end, which is additionally frustrating because, well, I mean, I'm glad they did that. Because I don't want Caveman John sticking around. I don't want this plot sticking around. Mm. But it's frustrating because this show has never been beholden to the status quo. They've always been okay with changing things up if that's where the story goes. And I... 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 Whatever. It It's the Star Trek thing where you could end every episode with, Huh, really makes you think. That, that is in fact what we said at the end of this episode. Really makes you think. And the episode wraps up with Chiana telling John that she knew in her heart that he was a good man. Which, again, you're right, it's a very un-Chiana thing. Also, Dargo comforts John, because John's like, Oh, future me was such a dick. Dargo's like, you don't have to become him. At least, like, that was only one future path humanity could take. Another one might be peacekeepers in a future posited by Abed, which at first I thought was kind of ridiculous, but then I sort of came to... I, 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 came, I came around on that prediction. I, that fan theory later. I don't think... I don't think it's right. I don't think it's true, but I can see you being able to make an argument that supports that being a canon thing. I mean... Does more stuff happen later that makes it more likely to... No, more stuff happens that Abed would have had access to that makes it less likely. I feel like somebody watched the first season of Far Escape to write that episode and didn't worry about what else existed. Mm, I mean, that's sort of the thing about writing nerds on TV, though, right? Oh, yeah. It's one of Real the- nerds come around and go, mm. Anyway, the episode ends. <laughs> episode over. We're done. There's no more Caveman John. There's no more Future John. Really makes you think. Okay, I think we're going to sail through our segments today because I don't know that we have that many. Oh, you weren't super into Future John's brain face? It, I didn't like it at all. Like, okay, so strange alien creatures, which is what makeup or creature worked for you in this episode. And I didn't really like the makeup for John's brain. It made me uncomfortable. I guess Caveman John was better. I mean, it's just... They both felt really first drafty. Like this someone's whole like episode feels like a first draft. Mm. So that'll do it for our first segment. Okay, second segment. Uh, distant part of the universe. What world building did you like? Is it the fact that green energy crap from other dimensions is just whizzing around the universe looking for genetic samples or something? I don't know. And our last segment is looking for a way home, which is what moved you this episode. Oh, it was definitely the bit where Caveman John threw himself in the hole. I was like, oh man, can't believe Caveman John threw himself in a hole. Okay, here's the thing that I want to say because we've really ragged on this episode. Yes. 
If you love this episode, if this is your favorite episode of Farscape, that is totally cool. And in fact, I want to know what you loved about this episode, if that is true. Like, let us know. No shade on anyone who loves this episode. Yeah, we've been really mean to this episode, but I feel like I should point out I didn't actively dislike it when we were watching it. I was kind of in and out. It felt really middle of the road to me, which honestly is kind of not when you're watching it, but it's kind of the biggest sin of a TV show when you have to talk about it. That is so accurate. For me, my biggest problem with this episode is that it's not all out terrible. It's just an episode that I know could have been done better. Because it is done better later. Yeah, but also Farscape generally is better than this. You're better than this, Farscape. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. So next time we're going to be starting something interesting, though, right? Yes. Okay, so next we are going to have the first of the three-parter, and... As I've mentioned, Farscape does a lot of these three-parters that are essentially 90-minute movies. So the first episode is Look at the Princess, Part 1. A kiss is but a kiss. And the description from Amazon Prime is, To avoid capture by Scorpius, Crichton is forced to propose to a princess. But a hostile Scarin thinks Crichton is better dead than wed. Are Scarins the ones that are just the puppet from the... Oh. I, I thought they were that bird puppet from the from Willow or whatever. We don't see them again. Oh. No, Scarens are basically half dragons. Huh. Yeah. Are they related to the battle toads that burp fire? They are not. Oh. Hmm. Well, I'm looking forward to that. This has been talked up a lot, so. I, I really do love this episode. I guess that'll about do it for this week. I guess that'll do it for uh, this episode. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, Kyle, and Kate. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. <laughs>